You don't believe my son just slipped. Excuse me? Fucking Babylon. I will leave you. You don't think I want to spend some time with my family after being gone all week? People think that I am unhinged? You touch me like that again and I will fucking leave you. Fucking leave you. Maybe you can give one hand Warren so he can shove it too. Oh, and we're off. The Coffee Black Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Big Little Lies episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we uncover the truth with episode four, She Knows, and episode five, Kill Me. As always, we'll be covering the first episode before we've seen the next one. So we're talking about She Knows right now without any knowledge of what's yet to come. Currently, IMDb is giving episode four an 8.7 and Rotten Tomatoes is giving it a 95%. They say... David E. Kelly played a particularly skillful act of dazzling us with the shiny surfaces of the world he portrays, while at the same time throwing his characters down its hidden cracks. So she knows, we can talk about who we think she is and what she knows. An interesting fact though, I just found out the titles of these episodes come from song titles or famous lines from songs. I don't know which one this is, I tried to look into it. But of course, music is going to play a role again as we're going to see Amabella's disco-themed birthday party here. Amabella's birthday party, my ass. It was an excuse to have an adult party, yeah. Let loose party. I know what my young daughter would love. A 60s and 70s themed birthday party with a band playing music they've never heard of. They have no idea what disco <laughs> is at this age. Let's get serious. Although still fun to of course. dress up, have all the music, the colors. I mean, the party looked awesome. It's just crazy. This is a question I can put to you. If you were in this situation and you were at a court hearing that morning declaring bankruptcy, how much do you think this party costs? Would you still be spending all this money? Well, I don't really know how it works, but maybe at this point it's not their money anymore anyways. <laughs> so they're spending it before it's taken from them. Or they already paid for a lot of this stuff. They must have been planning it way in advance, right? But I guess she's also of the mindset this could be the last time they're able to give Amabella something like this. And also the whole facade that we know about this town. She's overcompensating to keep that facade going. Even though everyone, and I think this was said in the party, everyone knows the truth. Yeah. We're pretending to not know and going along with the facades. And it's going to get a whole lot worse real soon. They've already taken the car. It sounds like they're selling the house, the court, whoever's yeah. in ownership of all their property now. Overall, I thought this was a great episode. The last one in this, we are moving very quickly now, digging into the meat of what's happening with all of our characters. And I think you had mentioned last time, this felt a little like The Magicians, or one of our Clatchers said that, in that each character was going through their individual storylines, but it wouldn't be long before they started crossing. Just breaking down the plot here, I can tell that's happening, because it was hard to group them by character anymore. Everything is so mixed up. Although we will still try to do that, we'll talk about Madeline, Renata, Celeste, and Bonnie. Well, I think the brilliance of this season in particular is that it's not just about that one lie. Everyone is going through something else, and we're wondering which brick will break the others. Is it one of those separate side situations everyone has, or is it the big little lie? And they're all having to bear up underneath that. The little lies of their life, plus this big collective lie that they're sharing... We've been talking about that a lot. How is it breaking each character down? We open up this episode on another flashback to Trivia Night, this time through Madeline's eyes. And I like that. At first, I thought, 
Oh, geez, they're showing us this again? But even though the events are essentially the same, the interpretation is different, what they're focusing in on and what they remember as important is different? Well, they always say during traumatic events, the least trustworthy information is from witnesses because they're not lying to you on purpose. It's their brain is lying to them. Mm -hmm. Everything happens so fast. Every person in that huddle probably saw it a little differently or remember it differently. In fact, when you store trauma memories, you don't even encode them in the brain in the same way. You don't have enough time to attach that fluid narrative to make it a declarative memory. This happened, then that happened. It's stored as these really intense pictures, imagery, emotions. And so I enjoy that the flashbacks are really portraying that. Mm. Each time the memory comes up, because of that, it comes up just as intense as though it was happening again right now in front of your eyes. We move from that to a get-together at Madeline's house where the kids are carving pumpkins. An interesting note, one of the twins, I think it was Max, puts a knife in his and says, it's done. He got stabbed. <laughs> yeah. Just little reminders throughout that these kids are still having issues and they're just being brushed to the side. Madeline is now smoking to manage her stress, so she's really not bearing up well. Or trying to smoke. Trying to smoke. She tells the others she doesn't know what's going to happen with Ed, and Renata shares her stresses about the court appointment. Jane wonders how she can even stay with Gordon. Renata says something interesting here. She says we stay. Regardless if they betray us, lie to us, we stay. It seemed so un-Renata-like to say that. I was surprised. Um, I guess so. But the way Renata said it with so much attitude that I didn't read it that way. I read it as that's a typical Renata statement, especially considering Madeline is right there. And it directly correlates to what Madeline's going through. It's true, but she is doing that, right? Uh, despite all of her anger, the resentment she's building towards Gordon, at least for now, she's staying and trying to work it out. We'll see yeah. what happens. Madeline and Bonnie push Celeste to find out exactly how much Mary Louise knows about the situation. Celeste says the suspicion is mostly falling on her, and she wishes now they hadn't lied about Perry. So that theme coming up over and over again, mainly yeah. with Celeste and Bonnie, this was a bad idea. And a lot of that pressure coming on Madeline herself. And then Mary Louise shows up at the doorstep with a cake. She has an awkward moment with Bonnie and then tells Jane, surprise, she found a unit in her apartment, so Ugh. she'll be around more. To see Ziggy. And we knew this was going to happen. Mary is ramping up. Before, we were like, it's intriguing. She's definitely up to something. She's downloading all the information. And now she's taking the information she's downloaded and starting to turn it on everybody. And she's becoming the ruthless woman that we thought she would be. I love everyone's faces and reactions as this is unfolding. Mm -hmm. Madeline doesn't know what to do. She lets her into the house, but she's looking at Celeste like, what the F is happening right now? When Jane hears the news about her moving into her apartment... Oof. She doesn't even hide it. Uh, she doesn't even know what to say. So I was really glad Celeste finally pulled her to the side at this. You know, you're crossing lines. And she tells her there needs to be boundaries. She's moving in with her son's rape victim. For God's sake, it's not right. In with her in the same building oh. complex. No. And this by the way, I'm not as convinced as you are, perhaps, that she was a rape victim. Oh, my God. You know, there are many, many questions that I still have. For instance, why was he even with her that night? What was he looking for? Perhaps seeking refuge from. What is that supposed to mean? How many other women did he go to? If there's one, there are others. 
So we had conflicting feelings here. My initial feeling was, man, Celeste is really losing it. She's becoming what she was running away from. But you, your response was, Mary deserved that. <laughs> I was like, well... It, it's so hard. I felt both ways. I agree with you. It hurt me to see her push her son, Max, when the twins were in an argument. Mm-hmm. I had the same thoughts that you did. She needs to help herself or she's going to fall into these patterns that she's used to, which is dealing with tough situations through violence. And yet Mary Louise knew exactly what she was doing. She was pushing those buttons on purpose, trying to beat Celeste into this kind of interaction. I think any normal human would get to a breaking point and overreact, do something like that they regret. Her response. What do we call that? Foreplay? I think that was just Mm. perfect. I'm picturing Mary as a snake, and she's wrapping around all of our characters slowly. But she's been, obviously, against Celeste the most, and we're starting to see that squeeze. And right now, she's squeezing just enough to get a response, as we see, to use against her. But there's a new game in town, for Mary, at least. Someone she hasn't met, because she would remember her, because she's so beautiful. Bonnie. And that's Bonnie. So I'm interested to see, once this snake tries to start to ravel around Bonnie, if she's able to. And if her mother is well enough, Bonnie's mother, and around, at first I thought they, these two would be the ones to destroy our crew. But I'm thinking that Mary and Elizabeth will bump heads. And actually, I got that idea off of uh, friends of ours during Fourth of July. And I've been talking about this for a while, how I would like to see the two of them go at it. Because surely when the truth comes out about Bonnie, Elizabeth's going to defend her. And Mary Louise is going to go at her. And it would be great to see these two incredibly strong characters clash in a way where they can. Our Monterey Five are really crippled here. They have their hands tied Mm -hmm. behind their back. They can't fight back against Mary Louise. But perhaps Elizabeth could. I think so. As you said, health permitting. Hopefully she's able to recover from the incident in this episode, which we'll get to. But, and I'm jumping ahead here. And I apologize for this, but the last view we get from Elizabeth is now we finally get to see that the person drowning is her daughter. And to go back to the snake starting to coil and choke, maybe Mary's the one to finally push Bonnie to stay in that water and drown herself. Yeah, and that was my prediction, my fear. Mm -hmm. Not that she's being killed, but the guilt is just going to overcome her to the point that she walks into that water. And that's what her mother's been seeing in the Maybe, yeah. I'm still back and forth because I feel metaphorically she's drowning right now. So I still don't know if this is an actual drowning or a metaphorical. It's difficult. It could be something from the past, as we discussed. We see a lot of water imagery with Elizabeth dunking her daughter under when they're younger. But this is an older present-day Bonnie in the images. Mm -hmm. We also thought perhaps, though, after this episode... Is she even having those images? Or is this just a result of the medical condition uh, yes. she's been suffering? Mm-hmm. You know, that could mess with your brain and give you hallucinations to a certain degree. But coming back to Madeline, after the party, Ed has a conversation with her and tells her there's never any middle ground. She just charges full speed ahead at her problems. But if there was a problem with their relationship, why didn't he ever get that approach? And she says, because there wasn't. There was just a problem with her. And he seemed to take that in well and actually think about that. I really liked it because it's truthful Mm. and it kind of shuts him down. He's in a position where we're going to see throughout these interactions, he just wants to be angry with her. She has done things wrong, but she's owning up to that. 
and saying it's it's not about you it's about me and that kind of takes away his power i think to keep attacking her but thus puts him in a position where he really doesn't know how to respond because he just wants to be mad well i think in his circumstance it's easier to be mad it's actually less painful to be mad than to actually be sad about it or hurt mm-hmm. absolutely Later, she tries to proposition him on a couple's workshop getaway. After all, it must be better than that lady, <laughs> quote unquote. I guess they didn't appreciate the therapist's no. style with them either, but he's not even sure about that. And they're interrupted when Chloe shows up with a school project she wants to show her mother on uh. opposites. A picture of a door and a picture of her mother. Well, Mom, the door is hinged. Oh, my God. These these daughters, man, I mean, we talked about it before. They are vicious. Basically saying my mother is unhinged and I'm going to show it as a class project. (laughs) And Ed's just like, yeah, that's pretty, pretty accurate. (laughs) And the next night she tries to make a move on Ed in bed, but he rolls over and goes back to sleep. She finally tells him she's not okay, And if he's going to leave, she wishes he would just do it because right now he's far from being present. Again, I like that. He has every right to be upset, but they can't just stay in this limbo forever. All it's doing is making it worse for the two of them. He either needs to move out and take some time and figure out what Ed needs, or he needs to try to start working on this, communicate these things to her, talk about it in the therapy. The passive-aggressive comments and avoiding her isn't fixing anything here. And I really don't know what Ed wants. I don't think Ed knows what Ed wants. Do you think it's all moot? Because when and if Ed and everyone else finds out what happened with the Monterey Five, will that make him want to leave her anyways? Well, it would just be one more secret on top of the pile, and I think that's going to be too much for Ed. But I had mentioned, I wonder if Bonnie's already told him. Is that part of what he's so upset about right now? I don't think so. I'm still questioning it. Moving over to Renata, she attends a court hearing with Gordon, where the judge reviews all of their assets. He presses Renata on several things, including a medical bill for $4,000, until she admits it was for Botox because of a life dealing with men like him. This scene was so great because this guy couldn't give two shits who she is, how powerful she was, or how much money she had. And you can see Renata trying desperately, especially in the beginning, to not give him the Renata treatment because it's not going to help her. Inevitably, it comes out. But I do have to say that guy's an asshole. But from his corner, I think he's viewing this as another rich family that was doing wrong to get even richer and got caught. Doesn't care. And now is using the legal system to find a way to get out and will probably be okay afterwards. Yeah, medical bill. You needed to spend $4,000 on Botox. Absolutely. I see where he's coming from. It's really sad at the same time for Renata, though. She's not just trying to keep herself from flipping out on him. She's also trying to keep herself from falling apart. Yeah. You can see what we discussed, a big portion of her identity. It's not just the money. It's the situation that she's taken herself from as a child, where it seems like they were very poor, to all of these accomplishments she has in life now, all of the things she can offer her daughter that she could never have. And slowly they're being stripped away in front of her eyes everything right down to her wedding ring and she's just trying to maintain some modicum of dignity (laughs) he's really not helping her again i do feel bad for her but this isn't her fault this is the husband's fault Mm -hmm. and she did work hard for this money it's it's tough the house is worth 20 million well we'll decide how much it's worth Mm. all that stuff would you drive to get here oh can you imagine Mm. On the way home, she tells Gordon there will be a day he'll pay for this, but she's going to keep Amabella's birthday party one of pure joy. 
Later, though, she can't help but reflect, since she was young, she planned all of the opportunities she could give her, things she can no longer do, and it's all because she married a man who turned her dreams to shit. She still says her bad decisions are to blame here, but mm-hmm. you're thinking, how in the heck could they ever work this out with the resentment she has building? For sure. I, w- I want to know what their plans are once the bank takes everything. They're going to have to or move. Yeah, but they haven't discussed that. Like, where are they going? What are they going to do? Mm-mm. I think she's avoiding it still, as she said, having this last hurrah with Mm -hmm. the party. We see she's gone over the top with this disco theme, spared no expense. People are coming in. She's greeting them all, the fantastic hostess. Upon entering, she sees Elizabeth, who gets a flash when she touches Renata. That one was great because the first time they don't show the flash. They just show her face in the background, which I like. It wasn't in your face. And we don't she's know smiling, what she She's smiling, she's smiling, yeah. And then the camera is making you concentrate on Bonnie and Renata talking. But in the background, there's Elizabeth, and you can see she felt something. Mm-hmm. I like that. Well, she tries to enjoy the party, but she tells Bonnie she doesn't like the energy in this house. There's something happening between her and her friends. She again tries to read Bonnie by touching her, but Bonnie pulls away. Meanwhile, Jane brings Corey and is having a great time dancing together, but she can't prevent a flashback to the night with Perry. He finds her sitting alone outside, and she admits she'd like to open up to him. She shares the fact she was raped by a man she thought was sensitive and kind, and he listens and holds her hand. For me, this is still feeling like kind of a side story that's going along as these other things are unfolding, but I continue to be impressed with how they're building the relationship together that she has recognized she needs to be honest with him honest with herself he's Mm -hmm. able to hear that he's still there trying to support her we don't see much but it still does seem like a good thing unlike madeline and ed she asks him to dance but he says he doesn't want to put on a show of pretending but later he's out there dancing with bonnie yeah just drawing attention to that the way nathan's looking at them the way madeline's looking at them it sure doesn't seem innocent No, it doesn't. And we actually had a Clatcher who I think, it's hard to read via text, but what I got from what she was saying was, uh, we're crazy to not think that there's something there and that Ed isn't actually infatuated with her at least. I don't know how real it is, but he is absolutely using the possibility to piss off both Nathan and Madeline. That's working to his benefit right now in his mind. Nathan finds Ed upset. He tries to sympathize. I don't know why he won't just leave it alone because Ed is rude to him yet again. And when Nathan tries to say he doesn't like that, it evokes more snideness until Nathan pulls Ed's wig down and they start shoving each other like 15-year-olds. Well, I love the way when Renata comes and breaks it up, Nathan's like, we were playing, we were playing, we were playing like a kid. We're just playing. He likes it. It's fine. (laughs) Some people don't appreciate this. I really enjoy the interaction. Me too. Because it's like a kettle boiling everybody's just right there at the point they're about to explode at the end of the party Renata's seeing the guests out with gift bags when she takes elizabeth's hand and elizabeth has another powerful vision and falls over going into what seems like a seizure she's brought to the hospital where the doctors tell bonnie she had a stroke probably due to a clogged carotid artery and they're taking her into surgery to clean it out meanwhile let's discuss celeste and mary louise She first tries talking to her, telling Celeste she's worried about the boys because she's been unwell and erratic. Grief is meant to be shared. It's insurmountable alone. Celeste reflects, well, that's what Mary Louise had to do after the accident, as her husband blamed her and left. Mary Louise says she deserved it. Ray made a new life and found a new family. People can move on after tragedy, just not always together. Every time she shares these anecdotes, Mm. 
I'm just fascinated. It keeps my head spinning about her. This sounds a lot like what we had theorized. Something happened potentially between the boys. We don't know. There was an accident. But either way, her husband, and it sounds like they were both named Ray, to make it even more confusing, blames her for what happened to the kid to the point that he left her. Well, there's definitely something behind that family that we don't know enough yet. They keep giving us a little bit more, a little bit more. And our Clatchers had a lot of great comments in regards to that. Melly discussed, when Perry said, I would have you all to myself, you have to wonder if this came from Mary Louise. What happened to Ray? Was Mary Louise glad to end up alone with Perry when her husband left? It feels like not glad. But like she has him all to herself now. She shouldered the blame of whatever happened to her son. Just like we drew the analogy. It was there when Celeste talks about one of her twins almost drowning. Mm -hmm. And Mary Louise said, where were you at that moment? If that had happened, Celeste surely would have blamed herself for not being attentive enough, not being present enough, whatever. It sounds like Mary Louise did the same thing. So when her husband said that, she went, yeah, you're right. It's my fault. And we can't work through this together. That doesn't mean, though, she wanted him to leave. She wanted to be left alone in this situation. I think Perry is all she had left. And what else could she do but focus her entire world around him? Yeah. But Melly brings up another thought, and I think Kirk touched upon this as well. With Perry saying, I would have you all to myself, this is in regards to being in a relationship with Celeste. But maybe Perry always thought that way as a child. And going back to what we were thinking, this accident, was it Perry who accidentally killed his brother because he wanted his mother all to himself? Yeah, and in that case, it wouldn't be Mary Louise, it would be him. Oh, isn't this fortunate? Now I get all the attention. So that's another approach that we can come. And that's why the show is so good. Just give them a little bit so they can come up with these theories (laughs) and have some fun with it. So it gets worse. Mary Louise proceeds to visit a family law attorney, the best in the Bay Area, it said, who instructs her she should call all the good lawyers so that Celeste won't be able to hire them due to a conflict of interest. Oh, boy. Such a dirty process, huh? She appears uncertain for a second. He tells her once this begins, it will be ugly. Even if she does wind up winning custody of the kids, it will emotionally alienate her. Yeah, the kids will resent her and Celeste, of course. Yeah, but she's going to move forward with it. After the party, she takes the twins for the night, getting them pizza, telling them Perry's never really gone if they keep him in their hearts. Man, and we said this, I think, episode one. Mary is just, no one's going to move on as long as Mary's there. And she's brainwashing these kids very effectively now to be in the position she wants them in. While she babysits, Celeste goes to a bar with Jane, and Jane recounts what happened with Corey her physically recoiling. She asks Celeste if Perry ever raped her. Celeste denies it, but promises things will get easier. I think that's so interesting because it's another area where Celeste feels she was just as complicit as Perry. She partook in this sick relationship they had together because it's not abuse the way she has perhaps defined in her head. This is what happens. This is what it looks like when somebody abuses you, much like the BS that Mary Louise is spouting. It's not what it was. It was something different. It's more complex. But thus, she's not going to be able to get over it. Yeah. Other people don't understand. Our relationship was different. She still has that mentality. When Jane leaves to go check on Bonnie, Celeste stays for another drink. Flash to the next morning where Mm. Mary Louise brings the boys home and is surprised to find Celeste seeming very out of it. That's when the bartender emerges from the bathroom without a shirt, and Celeste doesn't remember him even being there. She later tells Madeline she took an Ambien again after drinking. 
Madeline defends she's entitled to a life now, but Mary Louise has her own thoughts about this. She tells Celeste she needs time to heal and get herself together, and she'll take the boys in the meantime. But when Celeste starts to deny this, Mary Louise gives her the petition to appear at court the following morning. Okay, so much to unpack there. Let's back up a little bit and talk about this man, this bartender. Oh, yes, we got an email from Stevie who says, Did anyone else notice in the scene just before Celeste crashes her car, there's a flashback of her having sex with someone? I don't think it's Perry. This guy has a large back tattoo. Could this new guy be her next violent sex partner? So there's a few things. We did go back to that episode and rewound it a few times. It's such a short, quick scene that we had to really look for it. And then we paused, and no, it does not look like Perry. But you don't see his back because yeah, they're in the car. Yeah, I didn't see a tattoo anywhere. It was too dark. It does, to me, look like the bartender. Yes. So this may not have been the first time that she's done this with this bartender. So that, that is intriguing indeed. And I'm um, starting to put, to put it together. The last time she was drugged up, didn't feel well, she got into that car accident. That's when we saw that clip. She's waking up this morning with the bartender there f- having the same feelings. Messed up. Mm-hmm. Doesn't know where she's at. So maybe that bartender's not a good guy. It's very suspicious. They're not showing us a lot of him. On the one hand, you want to agree with Madeline that it's healthy for Celeste at this point to move on, to have some experiences where she's probably not going to get into a serious relationship, but she has needs. She, she's human. This is not that, though. This is not Celeste going out for a good time. She very consciously dismisses Jane from the bar, waits till she leaves to start getting into it with our bartender friend. And is the I took an Ambien a cover-up because you're out at this bar all night, then you come home with a guy and you take an Ambien? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. While you're going to have sex with a guy, you know you just had a bunch of drinks. Why would she do that? Celeste isn't a dumb person. I think she's getting drugged. Either that or she really is becoming unhinged that she thinks it's okay. She's taking the medicine when she's not even aware of... And the bartender's none the wiser. And he just doesn't care. He's like, I'm just here to have sex. Either Mm. way, it's not looking good for her. And this is what sucks, that Mary Louise does have a bit of a point here. Mm -hmm. Celeste is not well. What if the kids had been in the car with her? She does have a bit of a point. What bothers me is that if it wasn't Mary, if it was someone who was uh, less evil, (laughs) for lack of a better word, she'd be trying to help her rather than... Again, squeeze like a snake. And this is what her real friends should be doing. Madeline, instead of just saying, no, you're right, you're entitled to a life, this is crazy, should also be saying, Miss Celeste, sweetie, this is a little concerning. Mm. This is twice now that you've taken an Ambien. You don't remember anything that happened. First time you got in a car accident, this time you're sleeping with a man that you don't remember him even being there. What can we do? This is not good. Celeste, of course, reacts like any of us would. Once she finally realizes and the chips start falling into place, this is her goal. She wants to take the kids from me. You can see the lights just going on in her head. Oh, yeah. You're not doing that. Get the F out of my house. You're not coming near my kids, but it's too late. She already has the papers. What? It's a... What is it? A petition. No. For assignment of the guardian no. of the person. What? Persons. It's plural in this case. What? It'll be filed in the Monterey County Superior Court tomorrow morning. We need to do what's best for the boys. Come to court the next day? This is insane. So we hear later Renata saying she got Celeste a good lawyer. Not as good as Mary Louise's. She's got somebody that's good. It surely has to come into play, though, that Celeste herself is a lawyer, right? A damn good one from what we know of season one. Yeah, but there's different types of lawyers. It's just like therapy. 
you know, someone not in the know would just think you know how to do therapy for everybody and everything, but you specialize in different laws. And you can't therapize yourself. I certainly wouldn't recommend Celeste defending herself at this hearing. I just think it could be a really great asset on her side that she knows the law. She has knowledge and hopefully will be able to defend herself a little better. If she has her wits about her, Mm -hmm. I think she'll be so emotionally distraught that she won't be able to think that clearly. I hope she mobilizes in a different way that this drives her into positive action. Mm. We saw in season one when she had to come to the meeting with Madeline and the mayor, I think, about getting Avenue Q, the production pushed forward. She turned into a different person. You could see maybe the Celeste of... Of old. Of old, prior days, really back in her lawyer mode, happy to the extent that afterwards she told Perry, I want to go back to work. I Mm -hmm. forgot how much I liked doing this. Oh, we forgot to mention that while Madeline is talking to Renata about this lawyer, Detective Quinlan drops in on them (laughs) and informs her she heard about Madeline's speech at the school. Why is she needling? Why is she doing this? She's just sitting back and watching it all unfold and keeping a close eye on it. I think she likes keeping them on edge. Also, Jane later confronts Mary Louise if she has plans to take Ziggy as well. I'd be thinking the same thing. Mary Louise denies this, saying Jane is a great mother, but she has concerns about Celeste's mental well-being. And so Celeste goes to see her therapist, outraged that she trusted Mary Louise. She's reluctant to even trust Dr. Reisman now, though she ensures her they have doctor-patient confidentiality. The therapist tries to suggest settling, but Celeste says she will win this thing. And finally, at the hospital, Bonnie's father asks her if she said something to Elizabeth before the incident. After all, you know how sensitive she is. Jesus. Like, come on, dude. (laughs) Has this been the pattern Bonnie's whole life? Every time Elizabeth does something kind of wild, it's Bonnie's fault for setting her off. You know how your mother is. Because that's a really bad situation to be placed in as a child. It sets her off so much outside, she freaks out overseeing Detective Quinlan, assuming she's there for them. Until Jane quietly pulls her to the side and explains it's not for us. Yeah. You gotta calm down. That doesn't look good. Looks terrible. And sitting with her mother later, Elizabeth starts waking up and groaning. Bonnie touches her, and she gets another vision of her drowning. So I'm assuming this is after the surgery, no? It seems like post-recovery. So maybe these visions aren't due to the brain. It's so hard to tell. We don't even know how well or not Elizabeth is because we don't hear her speak. Yeah. She's just kind of moaning at the end. Is she in pain? Is she afraid? What's happening here? But you're right. It does seem like she's still getting these visions. While we had a bit of a bright spot for Bonnie and we were wondering if she's on the up and up, I think it's more like what we assumed uh, just for a minute and all this is going to kind of come crashing back down on her. I'm very intrigued to see where this all goes. So, Christina, the end of episode four, more than halfway through the season, how do you rate She Knows? I was at an even nine for episode three, The End of the World. I'm going to go up to a 9.2 for She Knows. She being Mary, correct? I think she could have multiple meanings. It could be Mary Louise. It could be Elizabeth, Elizabeth. seeing the mm-hmm. visions. It could be Detective Quinlan, knowing what's going on with these women. I think it's a strong possibility you have those on the side of lying and those on the side of uncovering the truth. And they will all start to know. Jason, what do you give? She knows. I'm going to stick with the same grade from last week, a 9.2. I'm really enjoying these episodes. So for the first time this season, we are giving it the same rating. That's amazing. As we move on to our digital water cooler, every week we ask our Clatchers via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, who is your MVC? And tell us your thoughts on this episode. 
This week we gave you Mary Louise. This week, every week we give you Mary Louise, <laughs> Celeste, Renata, Madeline, and I wanted to put the bartender because I. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, sticking along with the great male character moments here, huh? Was it Ed, Nathan, the bartender? <laughs> Coming in at fourth place with eight percent is Madeline. Yeah, we talked about just continuing to kind of drown in her own struggles, trying to make it work with Ed, but to no avail right now. Coming in third place with 21% is Celeste. Very similar deal, except she's actually losing. She's big time losing this fight in this moment. I hope that turns around in the future. We'll have to wait and see. And second place with 23% is Renata. It's another character right now who's losing. Extremely. But desperately trying to maintain that control of herself, she will get this last moment of happiness for her daughter. She will hold herself together. And you just have to respect that, right? But coming in first place with 48% is Mary Louise. I think Kirk's predictions are correct. <laughs> She's going to be winning a lot of these and might most likely sweep the season. Well, I've been trying to avoid this because I gave it to Mary Louise for episode one, but she really is the strongest contender. I'm going to have to agree with the poll here. Same here. Right now, the person in control, the person making the big moves, the person ahead of the game is Mary. I hope that our Monterey 5, in the end, regain control. But I think if they do, it might not be this season, to be honest with you. Well, my prediction is next episode or the following, it will be Elizabeth for the win. I'm going to will that into <laughs> action. Well, let's see what our Clatchers had to say about it. Melly agrees, saying, As much as I hate Mary Louise, I'm voting for her because everything she does is with a purpose and working towards that. Plus, she's moving the story forward. Hyde Kirk says, just as Jason predicted on the podcast, the coiled snake Mary Louise sprang and bit this week, fighting for custody of the twins and moving into Jane's complex, sending everyone into turmoil and definitely moving the story. Oh, I already gave the snake analogy, huh? Oh, I guess Sorry, you did. I, I don't remember. I guess I repeated myself there. <laughs> and I love after this, Kirk and Melly are getting into a conversation about what happened with Madeline and Ed. Definitely a difficult moment in the storyline because Melly says, as much as cheating is wrong, was anyone else cheering when Madeline told Ed to just leave her already? I hate when people make themselves eternal victims. He needs to be proactive and make a choice. Even though, P.S., Adam Scott's still the best, <laughs> she says. And I agree. It's exactly what we were talking about before, how you can understand both points of view, where each of them are coming from, but they can't just stay locked in this limbo forever. And what Ed's doing is perpetuating that cycle. So if I was Madeline, I could see saying, as much as this hurts me, I need you to make a decision. I can't move forward one way or the other until you figure out what you want to do. Kirk says, after this gut-wrenching episode, may I propose a lighter poll? Vote for Disco Celeste, Disco Bonnie, Disco Madeline, or Disco Renata? Jason, where does your vote go on that one? I mean, truly, I would like to vote for Disco Amabella, but she's not up there. I love this because it sparked a big conversation with all of our clatchers. I actually went with one that wasn't there, Disco Jane. Oh, so I we both her. went for yeah. ones that weren't up there. <laughs> I love the way she, what she wore. I think it was awesome with the face stickers and stuff. Yeah, she looked really great. If I'm going with the poll, though, I got to go Disco Renata. It's yeah. so crazy that her and her daughter have matching yeah. costumes, yeah. but at the same time, you know. Daniel wrote, Mary Louise, <laughs> pictured below, and it's a monster. I love that. <laughs> Furthering the plot and drove the characters further to the edge. I love to hate this character, and we are totally on board with you there. Absolutely. Warren says, ugh, I don't want to vote for any of them. They're all flawed and fraying. Ooh, can I vote for Jane opening up? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great moment. She continues to be the silent 
person progressing actually through her storyline instead of going backwards. We've talked about that a lot, how wonderful it is to see. The Viking wrote Mary at the real Meryl Streep again. Oh, see, hopefully Meryl Streep finds us now. My personal predictions come true. I'll probably vote for her next week. Yeah, got to agree with you. But finally, Elsie's got a different take. My vote is actually for Elizabeth. Her having her stroke, I think it could be a breaking point for Bonnie. Plus, she has the foreshadowing of her drowning, which gives the show a little more mystery of how that would happen, like the first season. I was tempted to say Elizabeth because she's driving a lot of this forward, except for that very last moment, just not knowing what's happening with her in the hospital. Yeah. But she continues to be an amazing character as well. Plus, like you said, it seems like she's still gathering information or trying to figure it out herself. I think once she starts to understand what she's seeing and starts to understand more and more about her friends, Bonnie's friends, and meets Mary, I think that's when she'll... Really shine. Yeah. (laughs) Before we uncover the truth of episode five, we just wanted to remind our Clatchers that Christina and I could really use your help, and there's many ways you can do it. Starting from as little as leaving a rating and review on iTunes for us on our main channel or Big Little Lies, to following us on Twitter at CKC Podcast or Facebook, or going to our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com, and checking out our donate link if you want to help us out monetarily, or using our Amazon link to do your shopping, makes Amazon pay us a little bit, or most importantly, and one that we really are proud of, and that's our Patreon. If you sign up to become a Patreon member... You will immediately join the amazing community we've been building over there. You can take a look. There's a tier that's right for anyone. $1 gets you access to the exclusive community chat boards and just helps Jason and myself out so we can keep producing free podcasts. An even better value for $3 a month, you get the Coffee Break episode, which is filled with interactive segments. We talk about what else we're watching in TV and movies. At the $5 level, just the price of a Starbucks coffee, you can also get the bonus episode a podcast where we talk about other fun topics, things in the news. Coming up soon, we will investigate, is your food real or fake? Kind of a scary topic, but we also have a lot of fun over there. And finally, at the $10 tier, you'll get a movie review each month. We've covered all different genres, and sometimes we even branch out. Our last one, we did the whole of Series 5 for Black Mirror. It's really fun, and all the tiers are greatly appreciated. And remember, if you go up a tier, you get everything on the tier below as well. This month, we're actually neck and neck on the Clatcher's poll for this month's movie. And the options are The New Lion King, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and a throwback that's currently on Netflix, The Book of Eli. So we're excited. It's tied up. We always try to put one or two options that are up at the movie theater currently, as well as a throwback or a classic. And we leave it up to you guys. So if you join now, you can influence those poll votes. But if all of that weren't enough, every month you also get entered into a raffle to win an item of free CKC merchandise. We select one new member and one existing member and both get any item of their choosing from the store. You can check it all out at coffeeclatchcrew.com. Lastly, I want to say we do appreciate the ratings and the reviews that you're giving us. A big shout out to PyLPZ94 and Carrie2525 for your amazing five-star reviews. Without further ado, Jason, let's get into episode five, Kill Me, where Renata attempts to help Celeste, Celeste attends a court hearing, Josh, Max, and Ziggy are bullied at school, and Bonnie struggles with her mother's recovery. IMDb is giving this an 8.7 and Rotten Tomatoes a 100%. The critics say, thoroughly heartbreaking and intense, this episode does an excellent job of showing how unresolved trauma and abuse can affect children. The adults have become entangled in personal crises, but it's the next generation that has quietly absorbed it all. 
Another critic says, I have been all for spending time with five of the finest actresses throughout this season, but with only two episodes to go, I keep waiting for things to fully kick into gear. So where do you land on that with your thoughts for this episode? Well, we only have two episodes left in this season. And I can see what they mean by really fully kicking to gear. But you have to remember Big Little Lies season one. It's not like a Game of Thrones where everything is intense every episode. It's a big buildup. The intensity has been there since episode one. The drama, albeit quiet drama at times, has been there since episode one. Although the last couple of episodes, they have ramped it up in the last five or ten seconds of every episode. But that's not the norm for them. And that's not something you should be looking for. I do think it is subtly escalating as the season goes on. And considering what you said my last time going back and rewatching season one, most of the culminating action, the things I was waiting for from the book, didn't happen until the final episode. So I'm kind of figuring a similar pattern will unfold here. But also, as the season goes on, I'm wondering if this is all intentional, if a lot of this will still remain unanswered because they do, in fact, plan to go to a season three. Now, there's no official word out about that yet, but they've started to dig more deeply into a lot of these characters and options, things that we find interesting, that I'm not even sure they can totally wrap up by the end of this season. I agree with you. One thing in particular... And you broached this a couple of episodes ago, and I didn't really agree with you at first, but the further into the season I'm getting, I'm starting to realize Bonnie's storyline feels like they put it a little bit on uh, some steroids (laughs) just for story's sake. And at times feels like there's too much going on there, too much being added there, while at the same time not fitting. Totally. Or totally giving us answers. Yeah. Just opening up more and more avenues to explore. I'm having issues with now Bonnie's sitting there with her mother and touching her hand. And it looks like, is she having visions as well? Or is it just flashbacks in her head? Memory flashbacks. Because you see a drowning thing there again. Yeah, or that could still be Elizabeth having the flashbacks. It's just the way they're skewing it. Okay. Much like the way she says, kill me. Does it really mean that? Is it the person in her vision saying that? There's so many different ways that could go that I feel they leave it intentionally vague. But in the same regards, I feel very confident that 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 will fill the mold eventually and mean something more. I think so. They've put a lot of chips out on the board and I could see that several moves down the row that could get very interesting if they give it time to unfold it slowly, much like the Mary Louise background story that they've been building up to all season. There are things here that I can't believe I'm saying it maybe do need some more room and time to explore. I was wondering if there would be an actual purpose to doing a season two after the roadmap of the book ended with season one. But when I found out that Leanne Moriarty had written a novella for where the story would go potentially for a season two, and that's what they're following, there's no reason she couldn't keep doing that as long as she feels that the characters have more to tell her. And if that's the case, and it continues to be brilliant like this, and the actresses are still all in giving us amazing performances, then why not? As long as you still have story left to tell. I am kind of feeling antsy about wanting it to go forward more, but in a selfish way. I'm excited. I want to see what happens. I don't think that what's on screen right now is boring or bad. This episode had a couple of quirky, maybe flawed spots that we can get into that I'm not sure about, but it didn't dampen my excitement or enjoyment of the storyline as a whole. Before we go any further, there were a couple of music notes that I noticed this time. We have School by Supertramp playing when Jane drives Ziggy home from school. Natural Woman, of course, by Carol King, when Madeline and Ed are on the way to the workshop. 
He doesn't appreciate her style of singing along mm. to that. If You Leave Me Now by Chicago, excellent moment when Bonnie's conducting the sleep apnea class that even she thinks is bullshit. And it's a wonderful life by Sparkle Horse that play as Jane and Corey kiss. We open up yet again on a flashback to trivia night, this time from Jane's perspective, and move quickly into a series of flashbacks that Celeste is having, all of them involving her having sex with someone. Luckily, we were able to pause that and kind of freeze frame it because it was really hard to tell. Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous that I'm like, all right, we got to pause. It's like two seconds into the show. I'm like, pause, rewind, play, I was like, play, that's pause, not the bartender. Rewind. What's going on? And then it seemed to be Perry, which it was. At first. For a good portion of the beginning of the flashback. And then all of a sudden at the end, there was some other dude that's not Perry and not the bartender. I was very thrown off here. It definitely was not the bartender. It definitely wasn't Perry in the second portion of that. But in my head, I was like, bartender, and this is probably just me thinking, it looked like a public bathroom. Okay, and they were in I a couldn't stall. tell that. But this opens up many questions and many theories. It looks like she's sleeping around at this point. She's missing the passion that she was having from Perry, including the passionate violence mm. and the passionate sex. And I think she's seeking it. In other men but going like blackout drunk uh, nearly blackout drunk and then remembering it in flashes i definitely agree but i questioned here putting the flashback so mixed in with perry is it her trying to recapture that missing him thinking about him or were they trying to show us time wise that actually happened when she was with perry how long has this been going on oh i didn't think of it that way you know I think she was in the midst of being almost blackout drunk. Mm -hmm. Subconsciously, it was Perry to her. It was all kind of melding together and in she her was, mind. Yeah, she was trying to fulfill that hole and just using that other person as a body. Mm -hmm. But that also brings up something that earlier this podcast, which in fact was last week, which is in regards Recording to the last wise. episode, yeah. yes, when we started to think that the flashback we saw, the flashback we were told of, from a clatcher that not a lot of people picked up, including ourselves, when right before she got into that car accident, was the bartender. I'm starting to think, no, that wasn't the bartender. That was another person. Even another guy. It was really hard to tell because of how quick. Same thing with this guy. If we hadn't caught it right at the moment of hitting the pause button. Or if we weren't, if we weren't being hyper, hyper vigilant because we're doing a podcast. Yeah. I mean, other shows we're watching, especially the first couple seconds. I'm sitting down. I'm like putting the bird on my shoulder Getting the computer out to take notes. You know, things like that. So we're lucky we didn't miss it. Well, a lot is happening here with Celeste. She also learns that a psychiatric investigator will need to interview her children, associates, friends, anyone needed, so they can make a recommendation to the court on if she is a fit mother. But in the end, it will come down to the judge's decision. They have this meeting. Right off the bat, Mary Louise tries to inject her two cents, telling the judge it's about what's best for the children. It's not that she thinks Celeste is a bad mom. She's so smart. Luckily, the judge seems to easily see through this and understand she's just trying to make a sympathetic first impression. It's not really working. But after Celeste is furious with her lawyer for not doing anything. Because nothing was exactly the right response, Celeste. We have a very smart judge in there. One will be able to see through your mother-in-law's little performance and see it for what it was, just a performance. And I told you I am not about putting up that kind of performance. I'm about credibility. So when I speak, judges listen. And now I need you to listen. 
They don't win here unless they establish you as unhinged. So you should expect everything and anything they do say to be precisely designed to get you to react. Is she right? In this circumstance, absolutely. This harkens back to earlier this podcast. We were talking about the fact that she's such a good lawyer. This may be good for her. But at the same time saying she's going to be so emotionally involved that it's not going to be good for her. She won't know what's best for herself in the moment. In this part of the arraignment, it's not time to talk. It's not going to make you look good. There's nothing she could have said there that would have put her in a better light. Yeah, it either looks like you're just reacting to Mary Louise or you're trying to justify and overcompensate. I really am a good mother. It's infuriating for her because there isn't anything she can do to prove that. And here we are sitting and thinking, there's a lot of evidence that could come out to the contrary. And what is she to do to prove otherwise? If you have Mary Louise saying this and now they start to uncover some of these secrets... It's a really difficult position. I do agree with the lawyer's advice in that instance. And I'm wondering if Celeste will eventually become unhinged by this. We've seen her get to a boiling point and snap a couple of times now at her kids, at Mary Louise. We understand how that happened. We feel for her. We don't think this is Celeste's typical pattern of behavior. And yet that still looks really bad. That's not something that she can afford to have happen in this court situation. Plus, so many other things that we'll talk about in a minute that could make this worse. But on the same hand, the way Mary Louise does it, although it's not the right time to do it and may be frowned upon, she did it with such sympathy and sincerity that it didn't feel like an emotional interjection that would spoil the judge a little bit. It felt like like I actually really care. And she is a beautiful mother. Yeah, I was thinking that too, and it's concerning, but it did seem like the judge saw through that. And the lawyer too, this is why she was saying, you can be a lawyer, but it's different specializing in one area. All she does and sees is this family court system, the way it operates all day, every day. Yeah. And she's saying the judge sees that too. Don't underestimate that they know when people are trying to work them. I really hope she is reading that correctly and the judge does understand but just keep in mind this is the tip of the iceberg for mary louise and that killer lawyer absolutely i'm surprised that she even makes a proposal to celeste later she calls a meeting where mary louise's lawyer puts forth a settlement offer to avoid an ugly legal battle joint custody the kids would be with celeste during the week and mary louise on the weekends celeste would also need to seek treatment for substance abuse and anger management She refuses, very quickly and bluntly, and again becomes upset with the lawyer who tells her it actually was a good offer. Also, anything could happen in court and Perry's death will come up. Man, should she have taken that offer? It's hard to say because we're not there. We're not her. But if you try to put yourself in her frame of mind, this woman is still coming in and taking her kids. Mm -hmm. Albeit for the weekend, every weekend, but still taking control of the family environment and then making her go to substance abuse and anger management which i think she should anyways but and technically she's getting therapy this should qualify as both of those things the problem is once you agree to this you're losing one step of control six months from now mary louise could bring this back into the courts and say we tried this and it's not working for her and then do this whole nother game but 
now she has a slash against her. This new judge, because it won't be the same judge, will see, well, she's already going to, she's going to anger management, substance abuse. Wow. And already doesn't have the kids on the... You know what I mean? And we haven't gotten to this yet, but if things do come out about Perry or she's caught in a lie, she is automatically going to look wrong on all accounts and might lose the kids completely. Either way, as you said... If Mary Louise has these kids for any period of time, we've seen even just over the course of her visiting here, however long that's been, Brainwash she's brainwashing the kids. them. Yep. Good and thinking. if Celeste has them during the weeks, they're at school, they're doing other things. She really has minimal time to spend with them. A lot of the quality time for kids happens on the weekends and she loses all of that. Yeah. I can mm-hmm. see her immediately shutting that down. And in any other circumstance, I agree with her. You don't want this. This is a horrible offer, and you don't want Mary Louise even hanging around. Get the hell out of Jane's apartment complex. But knowing everything that they hid and lied about, that can, and it sounds like will, come out in court to bite them, and not just her, but the rest of the Monterey Five that are involved, I don't know how in good conscience you let that happen. So there's the other end of the sword. Given all that, maybe she should take this. And maybe she should seek help. But I don't think she's in that frame of mind yet. First step is realizing you have a problem. Mm -hmm. She hasn't realized that yet. Not in the way she needs to. And I, I think the other issue is that she really does need help. She needs to sort out her own grief, the psychological and emotional difficulties she's dealing with, how she's going to work with her kids to process this. She needs help with managing the kids. It's just not for Mary Louise. If it was somebody else and we could say she'll have a little more time to herself to do that, to manage it properly and be able to parent the kids better, I think that's a great idea. But I don't want this woman anywhere near them. No. And speaking of the Monterey Five, Celeste goes to meet up with them to tell them about the guardianship hearing. Everything can come up. They can ask her anything under oath. And if she gets caught in a lie, they have a case. It's a perjury trap, Renata says. All the women are on the witness list and they believe they're going to call them in just so that they have to swear in, ask them questions about the kids and then ask questions about Perry, which I guess, are they legally allowed to ask anything? Yeah. If it's not even pertaining to that, that's so crazy. Because it's pertaining. It's such one of those things that why people hate lawyers because they can twist it to make it about it. Mm -hmm. It all goes back to that night that you still have trauma about and you have trauma about that one night, that Mm -hmm. party. When you lost your husband. Yeah. Or in the case with, let's say, it was Jane on the stand. This problem is coming up with your friend, Celeste, deriving from that one night with her husband when he died. Can you tell us what happened that night? You know, and Who then you it, also have a child by. It's very oh, easy yeah. to draw Who that you, link there. you, by the way, also have a child by. There's so much for her to die, you know, and then just twist it into, before you know it, it's about that case. It would behoove Mary's lawyer to make it about that case once he starts to realize how it's unfolding because if that truth comes out well then mary has the kids and i feel like the opportunity is slowly slipping away taking the settlement maybe would have been the easiest thing right now and then saying you get treatment and you try to get the full custody back later you avoid this entanglement i feel like that moment has already passed by her denying it here they're not going to get that offer again Maybe that was even just a way for Mary Louise to make herself look good. You know, I even tried to settle this amicably. I think their only option here is to get out in front of it now. To say exactly what happened, why she lied about it, how she realized this is affecting her life, everyone else's life. She has entered into treatment. She is trying to better herself. Ooh. 
I, I feel like any other way ends worse than that because they have to find out, right? There's no way that these women keep this under wraps now. I still think she loses the kids if they do that. It's a huge risk, but now that risk is on the table, I think, either way. And the other women are seeming very nervous until Madeline finally ends the conversation, saying the only way they got this far was by sticking together and they need to continue to do so. Of course. Again, being the one to push that line that you know the others are going to resent her for. Chris, I wanted to ask you this, and this is totally a conspiracy I'm bringing up here, so I could be wrong here. But what was first, Mary's visit to the police... Or Mary's visit to the lawyer. It was the police, right? In the show, they made it seem like that. It was an episode before, I believe. Then when we saw the meeting with the lawyer, it didn't seem like their first time talking. So who knows which one actually went back further. Okay. Because what I was thinking is, obviously, during that scene when when Mary's speaking to Detective Quinlan, we don't see the end. Mm -hmm. We don't know what happens there. But we know that Quinlan has thoughts about this Perry situation. Do you think this is something that they could have conjured up together where the detective starts saying, well, do you think the kids are safe? And planting that into Mary's head. Then them kind of like folding this whole thing where, well, we can get you the kids and get you the truth if we go this way. They'll be forced. I can see why you're saying that because of the end of the episode, which we'll get to later. But it also just feels like entirely... Mary Louise's prerogative, this is why she came here. She has motivations that she's putting on to everyone else. And I could just as quick see her planting a seed in the detective's mind because she's out there fishing around for information. Okay. We don't know a lot about Quinlan at all. It's still a giant question mark. That's what I say about these open plot lines that with two episodes left, I'm thinking, how are they going to wrap all of this up? Oh, by the way, episodes that aren't an hour long, they're 45 minutes long. And I like that. You do? I like that they feel really concise. There's not a lot of fat in there that there's extra scenes. You're thinking, why is this here? It just worries me if they have to try to rush to wrap it all up. I feel like we say that I with say every that show. I say that all the time, but that's because we've encountered it a lot. Yeah. And somehow they managed to get through a lot in the final episode last season without it feeling that way. So who knows? I mean, they could do it again. But back to Celeste, at home, she tells the twins about the upcoming court date, explaining that Grandma thinks it would be better for them to live with her for a while while she deals with her sadness, that it isn't always good for them. She disagrees, and they assure her they too want to stay with her. When putting them to bed, she instructs that when they go to speak with the doctor, they should tell her they want to stay at home because, you know, she might tell the judge. In a heartbreaking moment... The twins ask, what else should they say? They can protect her and they'll say whatever she wants. Just so many signal bells going off with these kids. We've been talking about it since episode one. I feel terrible for them. There's really been a lot of damage done. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we didn't even talk about the fact where... One of the twins during dinner calls their mom a bitch. Yeah, we didn't get to that yet. (laughs) Oh, that's a different scene? Yeah. Oh, I I have it in a different area. The increasing violence, aggression, what they think is okay relating to other people. And we brought that up as a potential big issue, seeing as how they haven't been told in a direct manner the things their father did that they witnessed for who knows, maybe years were not okay. Now they're saying something that you could easily see Perry saying, I'll protect you. What child of this age just pulls that out of thin air to say to their mother? 
she should be protecting them from all yeah. of this stuff. And we'll lie if that's what you want us to do. We'll say whatever you want to. We just don't want to be taken away from you. But that seems like something a kid would say, no? Oh, yes, but it's kind of precocious and just has Perry written all over everything that's coming out of their mouths right now. I feel really sorry for them, but I'm also seriously concerned about their emotional state. Mm. And Celeste is kind of sending that message as much as she's trying not to when they were starting to talk about their issues at school. And on the drive home, Celeste says to them, it's really good to talk about your feelings, but maybe at home, maybe not at school. (laughs) And when you go to see the doctor, well, maybe you should tell them, you know, how much you want to live here. They're picking up on this stuff. I promise you. Yeah. Kids pick up on more than you think. So it's good that she does tell them in the end, just to be honest they volunteered the information that they do want to stay at home. So she says that if that's the truth, tell them that. But don't lie about other things. Moving on to Renata. Celeste goes to her to express her frustrations, and Renata insists she wants a crack at Mary Louise. After all, the easiest thing in this situation is if they could get her to just call it off. She learns the magazine will not be running her cover story because, quote, she's not on top anymore. And in telling Gordon about this, the camera pans around a slowly emptying house. It's all fallen apart for Renata. It really is. So two things there. The fact that Renata still feels like she has the power, the wherewithal, the energy to try to help Celeste out is pretty magnificent and I think says a lot about her character as a strong, powerful woman. But the other thing I wanted to point out, and this is a social issue that we try to not broach, but when it comes to social issues and the way the media approaches it, so women power, they are very strong-willed about it when it's popular. But when it's not, they take a step back quick. It's not the media that controls women's power or that has the balls. Case in point, this magazine... Because your husband lost money and you're not the wealthiest woman. You still have that job. You're no longer a woman in power. It's crazy. They're right away taking a step back because that wouldn't be the populace. But if I was the editor, I'd be like, well, this is a beautiful moment to talk about how strong this woman is. Even with a husband who crumbles the home. Yeah. It's, you know, it's really unfair. I am also questioning, though. Renata's motives and you know I'm a huge fan of hers I love watching Laura Dern's acting but I was saying in the last episode there's some actions she's taking that are a little suspect she doesn't always make the best decisions or have the most mature insight but who does <laughs> true however her kind of pushing against Celeste's wishes Celeste is really telling her I don't want you to approach Mary Louise so it's not Exactly her doing it to try to help her on some level consciously. That's probably what she believes. This is also coming out after Renata's found out about the hearing and that they could all really be in trouble, the Monterey Mm. Five, if this shit comes out in court. So self-preservation. The easiest thing for all of us is if Mary Louise just drops it. Because I'm thinking to myself, what does she think she's going to gain by this? Why would she ever have Mary Louise over at her house that she knows is a trigger for her right now, is a sore spot, is going to make her look bad, quote unquote, not in that position of power she's trying to accomplish. She's a smart woman. Yeah. I feel like she would think about that. So it's a little bizarre that this comes to pass in this way and she's seemingly not even ready for it. You have to believe that's what Mary Louise is going to come at you with. She's seeing how she's dealing with all the other women. 
what's she going to say to me? Well, of course, it's going to be about the bankruptcy. I didn't even think about it in that angle. That's why you're so good at this. I, I just thought, oh, she's a strong woman. <laughs> but, I, I do think that's true. I don't want to take that off the table. I agree course. with you. But the approach of why she's doing it is not just because Celeste is her friend. It's also self-preservation. How could it not be in this moment? But in regards to what you were saying, where they would think, look what Mary's doing to all the, my other friends. They're not really conversing. They're not on the same team right now. No, they're not. But I do think she is somewhat aware, at least of what she's been doing to Madeline, because she talks to Madeline a lot. Okay. She's got a read on her. She knows that she's trouble enough that she wants to take a crack at her, try to get her to back off. She's going to battle, and you would think she'd be prepared for the attack. I see. And yet it seems to catch her completely off guard when Mary Louise quickly figures out there's an agenda here. This isn't just an invitation for tea. Of course. My God. And listen, just between you and me, I I did want to... I was hoping this would just be about tea, but people don't do that anymore, do they? She flips it around and starts grilling Renata about the bankruptcy and her life choices. Everything that's going on... What happened to your furniture? I mean, it's such a big house. <laughs> you would think there would be a lot of furniture. Well, we're going through a little bankruptcy thing right now, which is almost resolved. Oh, but, uh, that sounds awful. Well. But you work, don't you, Renata? I do. Yeah. Yes. That must be especially devastating for a working mom to lose her house, her belongings, because just to think about the sacrifice you know, all the missed dinners with kids and the not being able to host the after-school <laughs> play dates. There's just so many, many moments lost. And for what? A screening room? Maybe a boat? She just shuts down. She doesn't really continue with her questioning. That's the end of that situation. Great scene, though, huh? Amazing. Mary Louise is a social samurai. If, if she was in Westworld... That would be, she'd break everyone down emotionally and real quick. who is going to be the nemesis? We call this early on. She's just going to keep going through woman after woman in this Monterey Five, breaking them all down in the way she can. I was very hopeful and still am that we might see Elizabeth go toe-to-toe with her. The recovery is not going quite as well as I hoped that. I don't know if Bonnie's mother is going to be ready for that anytime soon. But I'm still going to hold out for that. One more thing we have to say. Later on, Renata explains to Emma Bella she kept her home for the day because the other moms were having a day with their boys and she wanted the same. She insists it's not because they're broke. Everything isn't about money. I mean, it is, but it isn't. <laughs> and they spend some time together. They swim in the pool. This poor kid, again, I feel like I keep saying that because the kids keep getting the raw end of the deal. Yeah. Ostensibly, yes, she's getting a day off to spend with her mother, and that's wonderful, but it's probably confusing her more than anything. Why am I not going to school? Why is our house slowly emptying out of all of our possessions? They're going to have to move soon. She knows that her mother's tense, regardless of what she says. We know that Amabella is a very sensitive kid who picks up on a lot of this stuff, and I do appreciate that Renata is trying to send her a different energy. Maybe she heard those messages on some level. If I'm anxious and add a pitch tent around my kid all the time, she's picking up well, on that. Maybe let's try having some fun with her and letting loose. And I'm hoping it landed at least a little bit. At school, a bigger boy, Brian McPherson, bullies Ziggy, telling him he's a mistake and trying to goad him into a fight when the twins come up to defend him. 
They tell Brian that Ziggy is their brother, and he responds with, you know that means your dad was a rapist. Um, Okay, just pause here to say that's definitely not solely a conclusion this kid came to based on your dad had a kid with a different woman. If a kid of that age is going to come to a conclusion, it's going to be your dad cheated on your mom. Like, you know that it was with another woman, so he's a cheater. He must be hearing this around town. From his parents. Or from his parents. We saw with the interviews in season one that the FBI was having with the town that everyone talks about everyone. And everything has a dramatic angle to it. It's one of those towns. So guaranteed, and we saw it firsthand with Madeline's daughter, they hear everything. What made me a little concerned about this was for a long time, Jane was really keeping this information to herself. And even after she told Celeste and Madeline, it stayed there for a while until around the trivia night when Renata and Bonnie also found out. It was still very contained within the Monterey Five, and it did not seem like any of them were going out and gossiping about it. They had become friends. All of these women understood that this was Jane's story to tell. And I don't think they're telling other people about that to the fact that Madeline hadn't even told Ed and Ed was frustrated about that. The only thing that's changed in recent time is that Jane told Corey. So I don't want to get on that suspect train, but when we also have a little shade cast on Corey by the end of the episode, it made me think twice about Corey, how this information's getting out. Uh, Yeah, but no, I don't think it's Corey in this regard. I think... If you remember, she had to tell her son because it was starting to spread around school mm-hmm. because Madeline's daughter was telling friends. What being assaulted meant. Yeah. And then, of course... The kids tell their parents. What is, you know, mom, dad, what, is, what does being salted mean? Because we heard that Ziggy's mom was salted. You know, it kind yeah. of could have spread out that way. You're right. And I, I don't want to think that about Corey, so I'm, I'm happy to go with that for now. Look... We'll get into Corey, but, and I do have my doubts. I do have my, which everyone does. Mm-hmm. But the, if what we think Corey is, is true, he wouldn't be spreading around town. Correct. Someone's being salted. <laughs> but I have another <laughs> proposal about what Corey could be doing. Okay. And, and maybe it could be inadvertently getting out because of what he's doing. Anyway, back to the boys here. The three of them proceed to beat up Brian McPherson. Well, you know what? That kid had it coming. <sighs> He did. Fuck and, that kid. And I've, it's not his first incident, we find out. He's been bullying many other kids. The principal calls in Celeste and Jane to tell them that while that has happened, this time it was three on one and the boy had to go to the hospital for stitches. So he has no choice but to suspend them all for three days. Oops. This principal is just not Well, no, very helpful. <laughs> I, I know he had to do this. Well, um, this is more of bonus conversation. But remember I was telling you that in high school I got in trouble once. A friend of mine was getting bullied by the new kids who were gang members in the hallway and they started pushing him and all we did was grab them and basically disarm them where they couldn't hurt us but we didn't hurt them Mm -hmm. and they said they can't suspend those kids unless they suspend us and they didn't want to suspend us did brian mcpherson get suspended though yes oh he did okay yeah it was all four of them okay good but also, this kid, I've seen kids like this, and they need to get a smacking. And we could go into this whole psychology. Wants- He's probably getting it at home. He has older brothers that are probably beating him up. But that doesn't make it okay. He needs to get his ass kicked. The frustrating part is that we can also see this pattern developing. This is how it starts with the twins. They're not bad kids. And it's not 
their fault that these are the messages they're being sent, but their first reaction when their loved one is in this situation, Ziggy's one of us, what do we do? We physically beat the other kid up. That's what you do. You see that that's not Ziggy's first response. Right. In fact, if they hadn't come in, I think, unfortunately, he would have gotten bullied more, but he didn't want to engage even when the kid was trying to goad him into a fight. Which is just as bad, or arguably. It could do just as much psychological damage, but it's better than immediately responding with violence. We don't like to see that because the cycle just continues here and it's going to be harder to break this mentality for these kids later. Yes. I know what you're getting to and I'm I'm sticking to the emotional part. I'm putting myself if someone <laughs> was saying that about my father, I'd kick his ass. Of course. And if but, we're that age, we want to yeah. say, yeah, stand up for Ziggy. But, but it's, with our knowledge of good. the twins. So that is true. And that is something that, again, we're seeing with the twins that they result to violence because that's what they know. That's what yeah. they've learned. If I get this feeling, I go to violence, and then everything's okay after. It takes because care of it. Then there's love in the air again, yep. even though it's fake love. It's an unhealthy cycle. And, you know, you see it in how they respond later, too. I, I want to highlight that because Jane later presses Ziggy on what happens. He right away admits Brian called his father a rapist. So initially, he wasn't telling his mom these things. Take this situation. He didn't want to hurt her feelings. Right. Now he knows, since she's opened up these topics of conversation, it's okay to be honest, which is great. And he even shares his fears with her. He wonders if he might grow up to be like his father. So that is what bothers me, because he was violent in that circumstance. He's wondering, am I going to be violent too? Am I going to salted people? See, that hurts me, because we know from what we're seeing that he's not that type of person. But he doesn't. Of course. And it is really sad for him we wish that a kid this age wouldn't have to learn about something so mature so soon but given the fact that it is a reality and as Jane has come to this understanding it's worse to continue to lie to him because the kid knows things are going on he hears things she needs to at least approach this honestly with him and be the one to be able to have that conversation at least do it in a mothering way it's going to bring up questions it's going to bring up issues He's handling them properly. He's going to his mom saying, I I think I made a mistake. I'm worried that this could happen. What do I do? And she responds in the right way by reassuring him, that's not going to be you. You know, it's not like it's just in your DNA and you can't avoid it. You're a sweet, lovely boy. You're not going to grow up to be like that. And he seems like he's able to take that in. So again, while you don't want to have to have this situation occur with a boy that young, if it does need to, I think Jane's handling this terrifically. Yes. And I think Ziggy comes away with the right message. Whereas next moving into Celeste and the twins, again, I think it's handled wrong. When she questions the twins at home, telling them violence isn't the answer, Max responds by telling her she's being a bitch. Okay, there's the bitch thing. Okay. Yeah. She almost loses it. She starts to freak out, to yell again, slam the table, but she's able to calm herself and tell her they can't talk to her like that. It's inappropriate. But, but it, I don't think she's explained anything to, to them here. I don't think they're still getting any of the point about all of that. I think she's forgetting that when they were having their fights, her and Perry, just because the door was closed doesn't mean they didn't know what was going on. They felt the energy. They heard the screaming. So They might have even seen it on certain occasions. For sure. So, of course, they think that's the route you go. That's how you communicate. They see mom the next day is sad. She's hurt. We've said this before. I got to say it again. They need to seek counseling for the kids. And it needs to be twice a week right now. 
And we wondered if that was actually happening when Celeste told the principal that I've been waiting because we see everyone else who talks about being in therapy, adults and kids. Yeah, because those would be be good scenes. We're getting those shots, but we're not seeing it with the twins. And then again here, she is putting up a boundary like you would as a parent disciplining the kid. This is not okay. You can't talk that way to mom. But there's no processing of anything. What happened with the bully? Why did you react that way? What was going on with Ziggy? Why isn't it okay to talk to mom like that? Where did you pick those responses up? None of that. Because she's afraid to ask, where did you pick that up? Because the answer is going to be dad. She knows. And you. She knows that. And there's there's no avoiding it now. Denial's still there, obviously. On the plus side, she does later join Jane again with the kids. They're going for a day at the beach and kayaking. Again, small parenting thing. But Jane prefaces this before they go out saying, this isn't a reward for the bad behavior, but as long as we're sitting around, we might as well get some physical exercise. She's saying those things that she should be, whereas we don't see that happen with Celeste, who knows. But they are able to have this great day together. It's more and more like an extended family. This is the kind of support she needs, not like Mary Louise. Yeah. And they bring Corey, and I was a little iffy about that at first. Like Again, Jane moving really quick on establishing this relationship with Corey and Ziggy and now the twins. But it seems like he's really lovely with them. Yeah. He's playing around a lot to the point that Celeste says it's really good to see the twins be able to interact with someone like that. They haven't had that since Perry. And Jane, again, shares what's happening with her in these intimate moments. She's able to tell Celeste about that. She had an incident where she was making out with Corey. She tried to take it a little further, but she emotionally broke down and she had to stop. And Celeste reassures her that it will just take time. To the next member of the Monterey Five, Ed agrees to go to the couple's retreat with Madeline. Reluctantly but they're going until an awkward opening hug ceremony when they both decide to bail on it. On the car ride home, she thanks him for trying and tells him he's a good man. I always wonder with these retreats, they got to know, especially this kind, that there's going to be a lot of people where this isn't natural for them. They're going to fight against this stuff. They think it's bunk. (laughs) You can't start off with something like crazy like this. You got to break the ice. You got to work them in. Maybe day two of this retreat, you Mm -hmm. start doing the hugging thing. You know, you don't just start off with... Here's the circle now. Everyone, let's hug. I agree. And this sucks because maybe they might have gotten something out of this. Yeah. But they're definitely not into it. Although, just forcing them to be together for a little while, they Mm -hmm. actually end up having a good conversation on the way home. He finally opens up saying their first date was like an interview. Madeline was just looking for a stable provider type father. She was determined not to make the same mistakes again. And so looking for the safe practical option. He knew that and made peace with it. Until she cheated. Madeline acknowledges her mistakes, but promises all my future mistakes will be brand new ones. This goes back to the question of what was Ed getting out of this? If he knew going into this situation from their first date even that that's what she was dealing with and what she was looking for, he kind of signed up for this as well. You know, what's the part of him that needed something out of Madeline? These are still things he's not sharing with her. He's kind of continuing to just put all this blame on her. He's not being angry here, which is a good shift, but he's... At first, he's not. (laughs) Right. He's still just needing the explanation, needing her to apologize and feel bad about it. We're not to the making progress section quite yet. It leaves you wondering, are they going to try to make it work now? He's still not fully clear on how he sees things. 
It did give me a side of Madeline that, in retrospect, would be obvious, but I didn't think about it. Going off of her relationship with Nathan, and the fact that Ed is the opposite of Nathan, why she would go that route, this makes complete sense. But at the same time, I thought it was refreshing where she was being so truthful, where she was saying, I will make mistakes, Mm -hmm. but I promise it won't be the same one. That's also kind of an ominous statement. It's a weird thing to throw in there. What's she foreshadowing to the mistakes for the future? Well, no, because I think it would be insincere to say, I won't make a mistake again. You're human. Oh, 100%. In the human conversation between the two of them, that adds up. But the show is throwing in that line. Oh, I see. For a reason. <laughs> well, that's a... Yeah. Okay. I, do, I do think that Madeline is making great progress here in the relationship by opening up so much. You can see this is not entirely her being selfish or bad. As you had questioned a couple episodes ago, there's... A reason why she came to this point, she was truly devastated by that divorce. She was very worried about her daughter. Was she raising her the right way? I don't think she had bad intentions going into this with Ed, but there was a part of her that said, I have to do the right thing this time. I have Mm -hmm. to make the right decisions. And that's what I mean by it always takes two. Why didn't he bring this up with her? Have they had these conversations? It doesn't feel like it along the way. Mm -hmm. She also with great insight says something that we brought up I think last podcast very frequently in relationships when we've been hurt or burned we'll go into the next one with our walls way high up very guarded and we might even subconsciously try to blow it up first so that we have some measure of control over that we were the ones that caused it this time and she admits that that's probably what she did So I would have liked to see Ed doing a little bit of soul searching and contributing to this conversation. We also have another bizarre interaction where Ed runs into Nathan. Are they just like biking and running in the same path? Is there one bike path in this whole town? I mean, how does this keep happening? (laughs) The, the, The spots are all the same. The coffee spots, the running exercise spots. Yeah, absolutely. But... Why do we keep seeing this? Why do we keep seeing essentially the same interaction happen over and over again between Ed and Nathan? Nathan constantly trying to fix it at first. Like, I'm sorry, man. Like, let's get along. For a half a minute, he's trying to be the bigger man. And then Ed is just like, no, we don't have to like each other. Now, I've been hating Ed. I've been thinking he's a real dick. But he did have a point here. Why do we have to get along? Why can't we just agree that we're not going to be people that like each other? But yet again, while I do feel bad for Ed in certain circumstances, and this is going to be tough to get over this, but I don't see him trying. And I think that's what's being highlighted. It's not just with Madeline. He doesn't want to try with him. Why would he want to? He's not making that effort at all. It's not as though they've tried to come to an understanding and it's just not working. And so Ed's coming out with the wisdom of, well, maybe just agree to disagree and we'll keep our own space. He's actively saying, fuck you. Yeah. He's being a snide fuck, as Nathan would say, (laughs) making it very difficult. And then, of course, Nathan continues to react with his immature. How it makes me laugh, though. I know some people don't appreciate this. I just can't help myself when he starts running after Ed (laughs) and then realizes somebody's watching him and he immediately backs off like a little kid who's been caught. He's so funny, just like in the fight in the party. We're just playing. We're just playing. Yeah. And I continue to think that is going somewhere. They're foreshadowing something with those interactions. There's also a really beautiful moment where at home, Chloe goes up and gives Ed this spontaneous hug. Wordless, 
he becomes really tearful. Well, that's the hug he needed, not from strangers. Mm-hmm. And that was a beautiful scene. He's portraying so much. I think he really nails the facial acting here. There's more at stake for him. There's so much more to lose. This is his family. Mm. And probably the biggest motivating factor for why he hasn't left, even though he's so upset. He loves his kids. And not for nothing, we really haven't seen that before, that side of the relationship. We also get another kind of bizarre scene where Madeline takes Abigail out for ice cream and they run into Mary Louise on the streets. Mary Louise, of course, starts needling at her again and Madeline tells her what she's doing is indecent. She says, what's wrong with you? And keeps repeating it. What's wrong with you? Huh? Well, you know, you pointed this out and now I really see it blaringly. That's one person you can't poke because they're going to bite back right away. And she realizes every time she tries to poke, they don't fold in front of her. Instead, they start biting back and she runs away. She retreats. There were a couple of weird scenes, though, that I was wondering, why is this happening? It doesn't seem to follow internal logic. The scene with Renata and Mary Louise was a little weird. Like, we just had to get that in there of that interaction. But okay, I can kind of go with it for uncovering Renata's struggles. Why this scene? This scene didn't seem to give us any new information we hadn't gotten. No, we heard, of course, that there were photos spread about Reese Witherspoon throwing her ice cream. There was a part of that scene that was cut. Yeah. And they thought it was too much, but then why do you keep this part in at all kind of thing? Yeah, hats off to podcasters who get things in advance <laughs> and then pretend they don't know, but no. Leaked photos. And try to act smart. Good job. <laughs> and, and does it mean anything? That's what I mean. Even if she had thrown the ice cream, kind of, why do we have this in here? I think it's because they're showing that Mary is trying to chop at the tree, one limb at the time, the limb being the Monterey Five, the five limbs. And this is one, every time she chops, the axe bounces back at her. Yeah, and I had said that a couple episodes ago. Yeah, I'm I don't, going I don't purely think based off what you were saying. Madeline's breaking. It's just, I don't know that we need to get all of them in every episode, you know? I disagree. It's a 45-minute episode. You said there's no fat. I think they have to reiterate with us, and especially me, because there's so much going on. Remember that Madeline's not being affected by her. Okay, we also get the subtle message that things are continuing to repair between Madeline and Abigail, which I like. They're just spending time together doing something normal. Having ice cream. Mm -hmm. Madeline with two scoops, the daughter with only one scoop. (laughs) What does that mean? Next episode. No, just kidding. Finally, let's talk about Bonnie. She is also having her own flashbacks, not just to trivia night, but also thoughts of Mary Louise, the detective, and her mother including times as a child where Elizabeth was shaking her or yelling at her, getting very violent. She wakes in the hospital to find her mother still can't really talk. When her father arrives, he says they want to send her to a rehab, but they aren't really helping. So he just wants to get her home as soon as possible. There's then a couple of scenes together with him where Bonnie accuses him of not being there when she was younger. Sometimes he diffused things from getting worse, but never really protected her. I was protecting you, or so I thought. Best way I could by keeping the peace. It's okay, Dad. I know how weak I must seem to you. But I was just trying to do whatever I could to make the rage go away. For you. And for me. Okay. And for her. He also confesses Elizabeth mumbled a few words to him earlier to say that Bonnie was drowning. Sometimes her visions turn out to be true and now he's worried. 
Again, we still don't know if it's metaphorical or reality. Seeming less and less so, though, as we go along, that it's just a metaphor. It really feels like a foreshadow. It's Mary's a, a killer and she kills him. It, no, no <laughs> I don't think so. It's a bit more insight into the dynamics that were happening in that household. We had questioned. There was definitely repeat patterns of aggression, violence. Elizabeth had this rage that she took out on Bonnie. And Bonnie felt like the father was complicit in this by never stopping it. It's a bit of sharp objects. Yeah, but... Oh, yes, it is very much so, huh? Mm. But in the way he's talking to her, maybe I'm too easy. It kind of made sense. Like, the only way he knew how to diffuse it, because she had a legit problem, Elizabeth, that is, was to be just the person that calms everything down, calms the energy down. Except that that clearly didn't work. Bonnie still was abused on multiple occasions, and... It feels like a bit of a justification at this point, all these years later, that he didn't actually step in to protect her from that happening. But one could argue it did work because Elizabeth has been sober for a very, very long time. She doesn't have that anger anymore. Number one, do we know that? I still question that she told Bonnie the night they went out to dinner together. She doesn't do that anymore. But she was drinking. Oh, She was drinking. And we saw she was getting angry and aggressive as she started drinking yeah and even if she has been attempting to recover in certain ways there were so obviously many many years of damage done by that it wasn't enough yeah and as an adult bonnie can look back and say this wasn't enough and who else was in this household as an adult that's supposed to be parenting me these goes this goes back to all these intergenerational transmission of trauma and anger and violence how it affects the kids this is max and josh all grown up looking at the other parents saying why didn't you ever help me it's yet another man who wasn't good enough in the show i mean (laughs) yeah they're really just hammering that message home i guess later we see that bonnie goes back to the hospital she takes her mother's hand and tries to reassure her saying she's going through a rough patch but she will figure it out she doesn't want her mother to worry Elizabeth starts struggling until she finally gets the words out saying, kill me. So do you believe Bonnie will actually kill her? No. Me neither. I think it's a a misdirect, uh, something to make us think, but I don't think Bonnie has that in her. Yeah, we said that earlier. I mean, I don't even know if that's what she's asking or she's having the flash and it's part of what's coming to her in this empathic vision. She's just translating the message or she's medically not even right yet and doesn't know what she's talking about. I definitely think it's the show playing with us and I don't want to make messing with our heads, yeah. Theories based off just that. But it is yet another reason for Bonnie to lament on what she has done. Of course. I have killed before. And finally we finish with this ending of a montage of really quick shots. Definitely meant to leave us theorizing and guessing. It starts off kind of innocuous, Renata swimming with Amabella. Celeste, Jane, and the boys go kayaking and then back to the house for dinner. Then we get a shot of Mary Louise. It looks like watching menacingly. She's out on the beach at nighttime. She's looking up at the lit house. Watching them. As a storm blows in from across the ocean. I mean, just such strong symbolism there. It mounts into the next clip where Ed goes to a bar and runs into Tori. Okay, so she's very flirtatious. Touching his collar, drinking together. We watched it a few times, so the didn't catch this the first time. She looks past Ed momentarily, 
But As then, she's speaking to him. Yeah. And then continues talking. And then the last scene we see is she looks over at her husband in the corner. So it's worth bringing up again that I think in episode one, we saw Tori to remind us of who she is, that she's the wife of the man Madeline had the affair with. Yeah. Who runs the theater company. She got um, surgery on her bust. Mm hmm. Breast implants. But yes. she was clearly showing that off to Ed, like yes. kind of wanting him to notice. They put out a little bit of that sexual tension there and then they kind of let us forget about it by not showing us Tori the rest of this season until now. She obviously knows that her husband is there while she's talking to Ed. The question is, was this planned? Yes. Does the husband know that or was he just happening to be there and she's trying to needle it to him the way that Ed was needling Nathan and Madeline by dancing with Bonnie? So here's what I'm thinking and the reason why I brought up of the fact that she got the breast implants not i wasn't being a pervert pervert or anything <laughs> i think she has control right now in that relationship and she's angry i think this is a controlling thing i think they were both there drinking they were at the bar hanging out and i believe she's been broaching the fact that she can sleep with someone else i'm just envisioning like what is going to make you forgive me what what can i do right i'm going to get to go out well, and and have my own thing yeah <laughs> Much like we wondered, is Ed feeling that way? The comments he made to Madeline about Bonnie. Well, that yeah. really would work to piss both of you off, huh? Well, I'll, how about someone here? And then she already saw him in there or something. Then goes over and the husband's looking like, of all people, him? Well, and surely the gossip has gotten out in town. What's happening between Madel- Madeline and Ed? We know that news travels fast. People saw Madeline have of course, a public meltdown. Ed is an easy target. The way he's been acting lately, I feel they're setting us up to think he's going to engage this. He's going to have his revenge. Until she, he sees the husband there. I don't <laughs> know. Yeah? Uh, based off of his bizarre behavior lately, how upset he is, he even said to Nathan, when Nathan asked him, why do you have to be so mean? Why do you have to be so angry? Something to that effect. And he said, I don't have to be. I choose to be that mm-hmm. way. He, he is purposely leveraging feeding his spitefulness and his anger at this time but i'm also wondering if it's a threesome thing because then if it is he won't go into it i know and people have brought that up and i think it's i think it's because of something that we'll save for the spoiler section okay to go into in a couple minutes the final clip here is bonnie standing in front of the police station and she sees Corey leaving it seems like another scene where she's debating should she go turn herself in tell them the truth this is not the first time we've seen bonnie standing in front of the station this is coming off of the fact that her fa- her mother just said kill me which i think again brought to the forefront i have killed already so what do you think do you think this is clever editing do you think this is messing with us for the next episode do you think Corey is an undercover agent or an informant hired by the fbi i don't think i would take it that far to say that he's undercover there's been something off about him that we couldn't pinpoint all season because we don't get enough time with him it's hard to figure out what that is I don't think it's an innocuous reason that he's at the police station, but I could very easily see with his lack of certain types of understanding, if that is in fact true, once Jane opened up to him about this information, the position she's been in, he went to tell them something because he thought he was helping Jane. Okay. Even though that's sort of a dumb mistake, but it could wind up backfiring, and especially Bonnie sees that and misinterprets it 
and now runs with they have something more to be worried about. I think it's going to be a series of misunderstandings. So I'm on the same board with you as series of misunderstandings. But what I'm thinking is that either they called him in for questioning, just Detective Quinlan doing her thing and kind of needling, and we just saw him leaving off of that. Or it's something completely different. He lost something or... You know, something just completely nothing to do with the big little lie. And we'll find out. That would be innocuous, but I doubt it. Because in this show, why put that in there? To mess with our heads. Maybe. Or there's something bigger at play. They're trying to link a bunch of these different things together. What's going on with Gordon's legal troubles, as well as the murder investigation. I can see why this is raising people's alarms. But again, I'm kind of thinking it's another misdirect for now. Well, we shall see. We might be really off and maybe he is an informant. It's been very odd with his scenes to the fact where we were wondering, does he have, is he on the spectrum? And then that was dropped real quick. Well, he kind of said that up front and then was exhibiting some of those behaviors. I could still see that being the honest truth. But Bonnie makes this weird statement about how sometimes people fake that. Oh, yeah. There's more to it for a reason that we don't know yet. So let's wrap this up by giving our lies rating for the episode. Last time we were both at a 9.2. Jason, what do you give episode 5? I'm going 9.0. It was still really good, riveting, but I think I'm starting to get a little itchy. We're approaching the end of the season. Mary is ramping up, and I see that, but I think with Celeste and everyone, I'm getting tired of uh, worrying about my ladies, and I'm ready to see some redemption. Well, that's pretty much exactly what I said earlier. There's so much yet to uncover, and I want to make sure that we have time to do all of that justice, unless we are in fact going to a season three. I'm not sure about that yet, but I'm going to agree with you and go with a nine for this episode. Oh, wow. So that's two times now. Yeah, two times in a row. So let's move on to our digital water cooler. As you know, via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, we ask our Clatchers, who is your MVC? This episode, we had Celeste. Madeline, Jane, and Renata. And coming in at fourth place with 13% is Jane. Coming in third place with 20% is Madeline. And just above Madeline with 27% is Renata. But sweeping the vote here, 40% is Celeste in first place. So granted, like every episode, we could have put Marion, but we wanted to we wanted to kind of stir the pot. Let's put it this way. Mary Louise had won three out of the four polls so far this season. So I said it would be so easy to vote for her every time, and we genuinely could. She did not step off of her pursuits by any means in this episode, but it was a little bit more subtle to the point that some of our other characters, our Monterey Five, were able to come forward a bit Mm. and have some more influence in moving that plot line forward. I said, let's give them a bit of a chance. Then it became hard Do we put Jane? Do we put Bonnie? It's difficult to leave them out. But I'm glad that Celeste finally had her crack at winning one of these. I agree. You know, I'm afraid that I'm not going to get another opportunity this season. I want to go ahead and give it to Jane for once. I know that she's not doing a lot to move the overall plot forward, but she has just been progressing so beautifully in her own character arc, seemingly always being able to parent the right way and deal with all of these pressures, but still manage to be honest in her friendships, continue developing a relationship, a family with Celeste and her boys, put herself out there a little bit with Corey, regardless of our feelings about that, and try to move forward in a relationship. There's so many things that she's doing well. So I'm going to give this one to Jane. I have to agree with you. 
Even though Jane hasn't been the forefront of every story, but that's only because she's doing so well. Although this Corey thing might throw her... Well, for right now, though, let's just presume. As a parent, she is the best parent of the five right now. She seems so well-grounded, like she gained something right now. And I want to give it to her. So us for Jane and the poll for Celeste. I really like that. Let's see what the Clatchers had to say. Melly says, I liked how Madeline was fierce and calm in this episode, depending on the scene. In my mind, she did throw that ice cream at Mary Louise. Oh, that's cute. It was good to see her and Ed having a mature conversation. Ed seemed to hit all the right spots with his arguments. So Melly likes the way Ed's handling this. Daniel says, I think it is Celeste because not only is she dealing with a custody battle, but now that battle is becoming the core of the murder investigation. Really, though, I also thought Bonnie played a key role. We finally find out more about her childhood. Love this show. I could see that. Definitely. It was hard not to put Bonnie on there. It really was. We fought about that, actually. (laughs) The Viking says, write in vote for Mary Louise at the real Meryl Streep. Her plea deal proposal, along with turning the tables on Renata, all while staying calm and calculating, makes her once again this week's MVC. Well, okay, so the Viking did not fall for our trap there and i'm not gonna argue with any of those me neither and we had some voicemails this time uh so good to get voicemails again it's a little more difficult with this type of show game of thrones we had a lot of voicemails so i'm glad to see a few if you want to join in on the conversation you can call ckc.6606 that's 252-368-6606 to join in on the conversation Hello, this is Elsie from New Jersey. I'm just calling in with two quick comments about Big Little Lies. Well, the first one, I was thinking about the scenes that you guys had actually commented on in the second episode, I believe, where they are talking um, to the, well, it was a couple scenes where they're talking to kids about things like assault. And I was also really surprised, especially with Ziggy, when they started the scene and then all of a sudden it was just over and you thought that Jane was going to have more of a conversation with Ziggy about the whole situation and then I was thinking about it and I wondered if part of the problem was the child actors and the fact that that wasn't a conversation that they could have with those actors Uh present. Hmm. And I don't know if it's something that they maybe could have recorded Jane talking and pretended that Ziggy was there and then just cut out and, the, you know, like made, made a cut, you know, oh, tell him to do facial expressions as if he's hearing this information, but maybe that wouldn't have been as genuine of a scene as if he had actually been there. But I can just imagine as a mother it being something that I wouldn't want my child who's in a TV show to have to have a scene where they're explaining. And so I wonder if that's the reason, which would kind of be a shame because I felt like they could have handled it really, really well. But I would also understand if that if it was a filming issue like that. And then I just had one comment on this past episode that I just watched, which was episode five. And it was the scene where Bonnie is doing the class and then her father comes and they have a little conversation. And it was just a little comment she made about the class where it was a a sleep apnea singing class or something. And she was like, oh, yeah, it brings in the big bucks. Or she says something about it making a lot of money. And I just felt like that didn't really seem like her character. She had seemed like she genuinely loved doing the yoga classes and the different classes at this place. 
And so it just was really surprising to me that she was like, oh, yeah, it was almost like she was saying this doesn't really work, but we run it because it makes money. So it just, I don't know, that one scene just rubbed, that little comment, actually, the, the rest of the scene was fine, rubbed me the wrong way. So I would love to hear what you guys think about that. And, uh, yes, so thank you. I'm really looking forward to hearing this podcast. I'm so glad you guys are covering this little eyes. So thank you. Elsie, thank you yet again for calling in. You have such an eloquent speaking voice, and you always bring up really great points. So let's take one at a time. The first one we obviously definitely agreed with wanting to see I had mentioned after that episode wanting to see the actual conversation that took place between Jane and Ziggy and I feel like Elsie makes a really good point maybe I was too quick to jump to a conclusion that HBO was backing away from a difficult conversation that they didn't know how to write correctly because that makes so much sense that it's more about the child actors and I'm sure they have contracts and things that their parents or their guardian, whoever, don't want them needing to address. And the union, yeah. Now, with Ziggy, we do know that this actor plays young Sheldon on another TV show mm-hmm. and very often has to tackle some... Nothing like this, though. ...mature content, not like this. I do wonder, as Elsie put it, if there's a way that they could have filmed that without him actually needing to hear those lines or respond to it himself but I guess that would have been really difficult yeah that's something to really think about but I also on the same hand think that this show one of their strengths is what they're not saying they may have been leaning into that as well when we have Meryl Streep on we'll ask her I I just think that it was a situation where I could see that with Celeste because that's actually a part of the dynamic and maybe those conversations aren't happening. But I don't question that with Jane. This was such a big moment that she was going to finally be honest with him. It's a little odd to leave that up in the air without visualizing it. But great point, Elsie. And actually, I meant to talk about that moment with Bonnie. So I'm really glad. I'm really happy she reminded us. 100%. I think that's the correct read that Bonnie literally told her father she doesn't believe this. It's bunk. She's doing it because the university hospital or somebody it's that's guaranteed money endorsing is. this just diagnoses everyone with sleep apnea <coughs> and they send them to this class. It's an easy way for her to make a buck. Seems out of character. I don't think so. Actually, I think this goes back to the conversation we had about her mother, Elizabeth, talking to Bonnie, saying she puts up walls. She almost puts on a show. She comes to a place where she's the outsider. There's nobody here that looks like her. Nobody really understands her. Even her own husband, to a certain extent, she has picked because... He doesn't have the mental fortitude to get through that wall to to understand so she can put on any kind of show she wants she cannot tell the entire truth when she wants to this is what suits her it's part of her defense mechanisms whatever has happened to bonnie the past she doesn't want people to know about the secrets she keeps and i think her persona is partially constructed as an aspect of that I was going to say the same thing. I I was actually hearkening back to the conversation she had in regards to people on the spectrum. How flippant she was with that. Oh, you know, sometimes they just fake it. Season one, it looked like she was like this perfect woman who liked yoga. It was all peaceful. It almost seemed too much. Like it was a show she was putting on. Because there's a moment, I think it's trivia night, where she starts getting drunk. And the real Bonnie starts coming out. I believe it was with an interaction with Madeline. 
And you're like, whoa, hold on a second. Because she actually let her guard down for a minute. It seems like we're kind of digging in on her character. But professionally wise, I used to be a personal trainer. And I was really in deep with the science of personal training, the body, all that. So I loved to train. But there were certain classes that I could teach that were not fun, that were kind of bullshit. But I could actually make some money. So I did it. When you're in these types of things, when you're doing yoga, you're doing personal training, when you're doing these things where you're basically your own boss, you're dependent on clients coming in. You've got to make a living. If there's a feed, a funnel feed, where you can get creative and try to like help, but you know it's not really working, they need more than this, but you're getting the money. You it's sometimes not hurting. You sometimes <laughs> have to do that. And remember, she's not one of the Monterey Five that have all that money. Yeah, and... I'm not judging Bonnie on her choices. I just think it's been apparent for a while. The face she puts forward to the world is not necessarily what she believes or what's on the inside. Or at least 100% of what she believes. Yeah, Yeah. it's a mask that she wears and we don't really know the true Bonnie that's underneath. I think it's starting to leak out and slip just a bit because of all the trauma and craziness she's dealing with. And these are some of the signs I think they're going to get more and more apparent. Hello, Jason. Hi, Christina. It's Cook. You know, the guy who just won his coffee mug for knowing you better than all the other clatchers. Yay! And I know that must give you the creeps. (laughs) But I promise I'll only use my powers for good, never evil. I must say that your Coffee Break podcasts are my favorites now. And for just three bucks, I'll tell you this. If it was between listening to one of your coffee breaks or drinking half a Starbucks frappuccino, <laughs> I'd take your coffee break every time. Ah, uh, thanks, Kirk. So before we get to episode five, MBC, can we take a minute to acknowledge the acting that's going on in this TV show? It's phenomenal. Mm. I don't think we've seen this much talent on one TV show since, well, I'm not sure when. Maybe something like The Wire? You guys know this better than I do. And I know everyone's assuming that Meryl Streep will run away with the Emmy this year. But if I was the decider, I think I'd go with Nicole. Every mm-hmm. scene with her is incredible, especially her therapy visits. Okay, now my MVC. I'm writing in my MVC vote this week for Bonnie. I see you guys rolling your eyes, but hear me out. Not at all. <laughs> While all the characters are caught up in their own personal dramas, and Mary Louise continues with her evil mother-in-law version of Columbo. Oh, you might have to Google that one. <laughs> About halfway through the episode... I sense the shift in the center of gravity towards Bonnie as a person who could impact the fates of all the ladies and their spouses and their children. And she seems just fragile enough to break, Mm -hmm. if Madeline doesn't get there first, that is. Oh, yeah, and I want to give a special award for the person with the highest potential to Ed, the highest potential for a good time with Tori and her new twins. Oh, Pause for laughter. Okay, (laughs) for me. Now I've got a treadmill I have to unwrap. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Oh, yeah, Kurt. he buys her a treadmill. Nathan is such an idiot. Um, First of all, I love Kirk so much. Uh, yes, congratulations on the win for our bonus extravaganza, although we do admit and Kirk agrees that we have to give some of the portion of bragging rights to Melly as well. Absolutely. Thank you for the shout-out with the Patreon. I love that he loves... Uh, Coffee break. Three bucks. Come on. Absolutely. Although you, you, know, you put that Starbucks in front of me, it's kind of hard. No, I really appreciate that. And I am not rolling my eyes at the Bonnie write-in at all. As no. we said, we actually had a long conversation about this afterwards. I was just really worried this could be the last chance to vote Jane. I think that 
Bonnie is going to continue to be more and more influential as the season goes on. By next episode, I might be yelling Bonnie as the MVC. So we were being a little bit predictive in the way we did the poll. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Even though the top of this episode, I was saying that I felt weird with the route they were going with Bonnie. But I do feel confident that in the end, it'll all make sense. Mm -hmm. The acting, needless to say, we've been incredibly blown away by it. Meryl Streep is one of our favorite actresses. She has been long before this show. Just admire everything she does. And I think that the character she's portraying is so incredibly difficult and complex. The more we learn about her, the more I think people will see how hard it is to play Mary Louise. But Mm. yeah, Nicole Kidman, no easy walk in the park, seasons one and two, trying to put forth everything she does on that screen. She's carrying a lot of weight as far as the acting is concerned with what that character is dealing with. I felt the same way about Jane last season, that everything she needs to portray is so difficult. And now needing to show such a turnaround in character, but still make it believable, I think Shailene Woodley is just nailing it on that front. So yeah, it's been amazing. And we know who Columbo is, Kirk. Thanks. We're not that young, (laughs) my goodness. Thank you so much, Kirk and Elsie, for calling in. I love call-ins. It feels way more interactive. So remember, if you want to join in on the conversation, 252-368-6606. We're getting close to wrapping this up, but Jason, first I want to give you our closer look. I'm excited to share this information. I found out that after collaborating on this project, of Big Little Lies that is, Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon reteamed to obtain the rights for an adaptation of Truly Madly Guilty, another novel by Leanne Moriarty. I've read many of the Leanne Moriarty books, And I feel similar to this as I did Gillian Flynn's novels. After they did Dark Places and Gone Girl, I was so in for the HBO adaptation of Sharp Objects. So Leanne Moriarty, yes, let's adapt some more of her books. That would be wonderful. If you haven't read it yet, in Truly Madly Guilty, Moriarty tells the story of three seemingly happy families. Sam and Clementine have a wonderful but busy life. They have two little girls. Sam just started a new dream job, and Clementine, a cellist, is busy preparing for the audition of a lifetime. If there's anything they can count on, it's each other. Clementine and Erica are old friends. A single look between them can carry an entire conversation, but theirs is a complicated relationship. So when Erica mentions a last-minute barbecue with their neighbors, Tiffany and Vid, they don't hesitate. Having Tiffany and Vid's larger-than-life personalities can be a welcome respite. Two months later, it won't stop raining, And Clementine can't stop asking herself, what if we hadn't gone? Ooh. So that's a brief synopsis. I read that. Also a wonderful book. I am so thrilled to see Kidman and Witherspoon have the rights to this and where that could go in the future. And Witherspoon has her own production company now. Yeah. So they can do something with it. So many things that I didn't know about in real life. Another example, Nicole Kidman serves as the spokesperson to the UN Women Say No, Unite to End Violence Against Women a global advocacy effort that has galvanized millions around the issue. So it's so wonderful to just see all of these facts going on behind the scenes that we weren't aware of. Well, that's it for this time. We're sorry that these double episodes are running pretty long. We're just going to cover our spoilers quickly. We tried so desperately. If you notice, our episode four was only a half hour long. We're like, we're doing well. And then this episode, we went really long. We got carried away. But there's only one left, podcast-wise. Next time, we'll be covering episode six and the finale seven. We look forward to that. If you are afraid of spoilers, we'll see you next time. For those of you still here, we have a synopsis for six, which is titled The Bad Mother. Celeste is blindsided by Mary Louise. 
we see in the preview, she tells her they're not family. Then there's shots of all the women preparing, leading up to a court scene where it appears as though everyone's present. Gordon continues to disappoint Renata. Bonnie contemplates a solution for her mother's suffering and her own guilt. We hear her saying, I have to confess. We don't know to who in what situation, but finally... To whom? Yes, thank you. (laughs) Finally, Ed entertains an unusual proposition. And this is what I meant earlier by... Okay, the threesome. That's why they're speculating about, are they swingers? Is he into watching? What's going on here? Or is it just, as you said, Tori has told her husband... The You're only way gonna I'm going to get over this is yeah. to do my own thing. And it's unusual because he said, okay, what else can I do? Hmm. Who knows? But finally, episode seven, the finale is titled, I Want to Know. And we have just a quick synopsis. Celeste questions Mary Louise about a tragic event from Perry's childhood. Finally. <laughs> and Madeline worries yes. their lie is tearing the Monterey Five apart. And that's the finale? That's what we get for the finale? Well, you know, they've been pretty open with their blurbs thus far. I think they had to be slightly more tight-lipped. Yeah, I'd say so. (laughs) We look forward to all of that. It's been an amazing season so far. I'm sad that we only have one left, but we'll definitely have a lot of fun with it. Patreon members, keep a lookout. We have podcasts coming at you. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.